Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I'm going to talk about a certain fella who lived a while ago in America. There might be some keen historians in the room who who can guess who I'm talking about as I go on. So this fella, he tried going into business, but it it really didn't work out. His his business venture failed. So then he thought, maybe politics will be a better fit for me. So he gave politics a try. But that didn't work out either. He then tried going back into business, but again saw no success. So he was struggling with his career, but let's have a quick look at his personal life. He'd been going out with his girlfriend for about four years, and he thought, it's time to ask the big question. He proposed to her, but she turned him down. He then had another girlfriend, but this girlfriend died. So he'd already faced a lot of pressure, and all of this resulted in him having a nervous breakdown and a period of depression. And it took him about two years to recover from this. When he'd recovered, he he gave politics another shot. He ran to be elected as the, the Speaker of the House in, in Congress, but he failed. A decade or so later, he then had a four-year-old son that tragically died. Around seven years after this loss, this man ran for the Senate, but again, he lost. Things were looking up when his party put him forward to run for vice president, but again, he didn't manage to get elected. But Finally, two years later, this fellow was elected president of the US. His name was Abraham Lincoln, and he would go on to play a key role in abolishing slavery. And you look at his life like that, and you can see lots of pain and lost battles. But what truly stands out is is patience, endurance, and a solid determination to never give up. And the passage from the Bible that we're going to read today has a lot to say about patient endurance, but not a patient endurance that is just passive and sits back, but a patience that is active, that keeps doing the right thing, even when results can't be clearly seen. Patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We don't muster it up by our own strength, but but we can grow in patience by drawing on the resources God has given us and focusing on the right things. So we're in our practical faith series going through the book of James. And a big theme in James is that faith isn't just an intellectual thing that's limited to our minds and leaves the rest of our lives unaffected. Now, genuine faith sinks deep down into our lives. Through Jesus, God accepts us as we are, but because God loves us and wants what's best for us, he doesn't leave us as we are. And growing in patience and endurance is one of the ways faith sinks deeper into our lives. So I'm just going to jump in and read the passage, which is James chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. should be on the screen in a minute. So it says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. 
Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. So there's a theme in this passage of God's blessing being on those who endure. As James's letter is starting to draw to a close, he reminds his readers to persevere and plod on. In a lot of ways, this passage is a compassionate encouragement to those who are suffering. But James is also warning his readers not to let their troubles push them into doing things that will lead to judgment on them. So there's two main points I want to focus on today. Point one is how patience holds on to hope. And point two is how patience tames the tongue. So firstly, patience holds on to hope. What we believe about the future has a huge impact on the way that we experience the present. My dad's a builder and a few months ago I was working with him on Hannah and Michael's house. And there were times that the work ended up being pretty gruelling. We had to dig up half the garden and uh, sort the drains out, and all sorts of stuff came up along the way. But I remember one day in particular, me and my dad made a very big decision. We said, at the end of the day's work, we're going to go to Southern Fried Chicken for tea. And it just brought so much excitement to me. And as I was working, I was weighing it all up. You know, I could get a chicken burger, I could even add a hash brown and a slice of cheese to it. I was caught up in this anticipation of what the future might bring. This awareness of, of what was coming sustained me through the rest of the day's work. It transformed the experience. It didn't actually change anything about the, the practicalities of the physical work that we were doing in the present, but knowing what was coming in the future gave me the motivation to keep cracking on with the work in the present moment and actually work with a bit more energy and determination. That is obviously a very trivial example, but the principle stands that knowing what's coming in the future transforms the way that we experience our present circumstances. You see, James knows that the people he's writing to aren't happy with the way things are now, but he reassures them that when the Lord comes, they will be. The passage is calling us to look to the Lord's return as our hope. When Christ returns... He will right all wrongs and he'll bring an end to oppression, poverty and injustice. There's a lot of talk in James's letter about the rich and the poor, about people being in need, about believers who are poor really being in a high position and the rich actually being in a state of humiliation. There's, there's strong warnings about giving, uh, that, are, that are given about telling people not to tr- mistreat the poor or treat them unjustly. James is is dealing with the painful circumstances and situations that many people face in this world. He's holding out the Lord's return as a source of hope to believers that are struggling. James is holding out hope, saying, your present circumstances will not have the final word. To those who are doing all right financially, through this book, James is saying, don't look to your present circumstances for your security. Again, just put your hope firmly in the Lord. Having this hope, which is dependable and reliable, is what allows us to be patient. 
And a key message in this passage is this. Don't let your behaviour be determined by your circumstances. Let your behaviour be determined by your hope. Hope can transform our attitude and the way we act. One writer speaking about these verses said, James is calling us to have a confident expectation of a day when the fortunes of this life will be reversed. As verse 8 says, we need to stand firm. We need to not be easily swayed. We need our convictions to be solid and we need to be determined to live them out. Don't let your painful circumstances rob you of your faith, your convictions or your hope. In the context, it seems that the people James was writing to were suffering at the hands of the rich. And with all his talk about patience, James could be reminding his readers to trust in God's justice and not to take matters into their own hands and seek revenge. James uses the analogy of of the farmer waiting for crops as a good example of patience. The farmer's not passive, his patience is active. He plays his part, he he toils in the field and he sows seed, but he accepts that he can't control the outcome. He can't rush things. At times he just has to wait and pray. But the farmer keeps hope and expectation of what's ahead in his mind. The farmer has seen the crops grow before and his patience is driven by his expectancy that the crops will grow again, even if he won't see that result for a while. We're called to be patient and spiritually firm because the Lord is near. James wrote this a couple of thousand years ago, and you might be thinking, what did he mean by saying the Lord's coming is near? The Lord hasn't come yet, so what's going on? But since the death and resurrection of Jesus, we've entered into a new era that has been totally transformed by that death and resurrection. Jesus' death and resurrection now have the final word. God's kingdom is breaking in and hope is breaking in. We don't know how long the last days will go on for, but since Jesus' victory on the cross, we are now in the last days and the Lord's coming is near. So as Christians, we must live with this awareness that the Lord could return at any time. When the Lord comes, our, our waiting can end. But for now, our hope in the Lord can transform our experience of our present situation. Now, secondly, patience tames the tongue. I've taken this phrase, patience, uh, well, tames the tongue from chapter 3 of James, because I think it describes what James is calling us to do in this passage as well. He wants us to be patient in the way that we speak. In verses 9 to 12, it seems like James is focusing on the way people speak for good or bad. He tells us not to grumble, and he goes on to warn against over-promising by making vows where we swear down on things that we can't actually control. In the middle of all these warnings, James talks uh, positively about the prophets and Job. And I think these are people who, despite their flaws, did speak in ways that were actually pleasing to God. So... Why is the way we speak so important? Maybe it's because our words express what's really going on deep within us. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of, Jesus said. If deep within ourselves we we adopt a patient posture, then we'll speak with patience too. And this, this patient posture is something that God develops in us gradually. 
That's the only way it can really come. You only become patient by exercising patience. In times of endurance, God is often transforming our character and making us more like Jesus. And one of the ways that he transforms us is in the way that we speak and in the way that we deal with hard times. The thing is, hard circumstances can affect the way we speak. Suffering puts pressure on us and can influence the way we act in general. It can, it can make us grumble. It can cause us to, to make grand promises in an attempt to quickly get people to trust us. When hard times come, the way that we speak can be the first thing that's affected. We can be more likely to grumble when we're facing hardship because hard circumstances can put us in an overall negative state of mind. We can take things out on the people around us, but we need to tame the tongue. We need to recognise that God's love, mercy and grace is what has brought us into relationship with God in the first place. And in response, we should naturally take God's love, mercy and grace into our relationships with other people. Taming the tongue might look like not lashing out at someone when they're taking ages to, to learn something that we're trying to show them, but instead bearing with them. It might look like not having an angry rant at someone when we realise they have a different opinion to us. James is telling us that grumbling against each other isn't something that we should take lightly. So as James warns us about grumbling, he brings our attention to those who have suffered but stayed faithful to God in the middle of their circumstances. James reminds us in verse 10 of how the prophets spoke to the people on God's behalf and suffered as a result. The Old Testament prophets suffered for their faithfulness to God. And it might have been tempting for them to grumble, to accuse God of being in the wrong for not making things go more smoothly for them. But they found a better way to focus their words they spoke for God. They faithfully, patiently passed on to those around them the message that God had given them. Those who patiently persevere are blessed by God. In verse 11, James prompts us to think about Job. We're told about Job's life in the Old Testament. Job lost his health, he lost his wealth, he lost his family, his children died. But despite all this, he never turned away from God. Of course, he was real about the pain that he was in, and he didn't pretend things were good when they weren't. He wrestled with the situation that he was in. You know, chapter after chapter of the book of Job is Job crying out and expressing the deep pain that he's in. But he never abandoned his faith in God, and God honours that perseverance. James prompts us to think about what the Lord ultimately brought about in Job's situation. And the thing is, Job doesn't get all the answers to, to why he's been through so much pain and suffering. But ultimately, he's vindicated by God. Some of Job's friends had been looking at Job's situation and thinking, he must have done something wrong to end up in this situation. God must be punishing Job. But at the end of the book, God speaks to Job's friends and says, you have not spoken the truth about me, but Job has. God publicly honours Job for his perseverance. And James is highlighting this as an encouragement for us, a reminder that God will honour us if we persevere with patience. And this, it reiterates something that, that James said at the start of his letter. Yeah, back in chapter 1, verse 12, James said, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because 
Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So James is reminding us that we can trust that God will honour us, and he's grounding that reminder in who God is. He tells us the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. We can trust that God will graciously honour us. It's God's grace that gives us the strength to persevere and be patient. We're not told exactly how God will honour us in this life. And when we're in the middle of the pain, the the plodding on, the uncertainty, not knowing what God's going to do can be incredibly difficult. It might be tempting to, to accuse God of treating us wrongly. But the challenge is to endure with patience and to remain faithful to God in the midst of the suffering by keeping our coming hope in mind. In the midst of that uncertainty, as we plod on, we'll meet with God. Knowing that God's with us can comfort us. It can ground us and it can help us to be patient. And having patience like this will help us to speak for God and and tame our tongues. To tame your tongue and have that strength to trust God rather than speak against him, you need to understand who God is. That he's full of compassion and mercy, as we're reminded. And we need to be full of God's compassion and mercy ourselves so that we can treat other people with patience rather than, than grumbling against them or lashing out against them. So then we get to, to verse 12, and we see that James has an issue with people swearing down on things or taking oaths. The verse says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. And I don't think swearing down uh, by heaven or earth or making oaths is something we particularly come across today. But maybe the equivalent in our culture is people saying things like, I swear down on my life, or I swear, that, I swear to God, things like that. When people say these things, they're, they're trying to make their statements more believable, more credible. But James has an issue with us leaning on these grand statements to get other people to believe us more. I think a central issue with oaths is that when we rely on these oaths, we're showing that our words can't be simply trusted for what they are and accepted for what they are. The goal is to be the kind of people who can automatically be trusted when we say something because our words, intentions and actions are genuine. And there's no shortcut for this. To be seen as a trustworthy person whose yes can simply be taken as yes and whose no can simply be taken as no. We need a track record of trustworthiness. When you don't have a track record of trustworthiness, it might be tempting to to rely on impressive sounding oaths to to persuade people that you're telling the truth. But in this context, there's no substitute for having a trustworthy and reliable character. We need to say what we mean and mean what we say. I don't know about you, but the way I respond to what someone says, it's often going to be dependent upon who it is saying something to me. The way people respond to what you're saying in the present is heavily linked to your track record in the past. And this is your case with your relationship to honouring commitments, but it's also the case more generally. People are much more likely to believe you if you have a track record of telling the truth. I think we all probably know of that kind of person that exaggerates all the time, that comes out with these grand stories about themselves or just has a habit of, of not turning up somewhere when they said they would. 
When someone's like that, people often take what they say with a large pinch of salt. When they say yes, we can be left wondering, does that really mean yes? And when they say no, we're wondering, does that really mean no? Someone like this that's known for being unreliable might be tempted to, to try and add these grand statements to the way they talk, like, I swear down on my life, in order to get other people to believe them. When we're facing hard times, the pressure might lead us to panic and get suspicious of other people and worry that people don't believe the things that we're saying. And we might desperately try and say things to make sure that people believe us. The people James was writing to might have been tempted in the middle of their difficulties to, to swear by heaven or swear by earth. We might be tempted ourselves at times to, to swear down on our lives or something like that. But James is telling us, no, you don't need to do that. In the moment, just a simple yes or no is enough. Don't focus on saying extra things to get people to believe you. But focus on living your life, your everyday life, in a straightforward, reliable way. And be a person who has a reputation for being trustworthy, even when going through hard times. Being people who are straightforward, trustworthy and reliable even in the midst of hardship and suffering, it might seem mundane. It might not get the same attention that you'd get for, for swearing down on your life, for example. But it's a profound way that we can shine the light of Christ into this broken world just through being reliable. When we're facing hard times, we need to have a posture of steadiness and patience. So part of patient endurance is honouring your word, even when times are hard. There's a lot going on in this passage, and it's both challenging and encouraging. For a lot of us, responding to this passage might just look like continuing to plod on, fixing our eyes on the hope that we have that can sustain us through this world. For some of us, maybe we need to, to look at the ways that we allow the pressures that we face to impact the way we speak to maybe grumble or overpromise. Through God's compassion and mercy, maybe we can allow God to transform the way that we speak when we're struggling, to give us that, that steady posture of patience that, that comes out in our words. 